This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Laura Lee Smith. She's a real estate agent in the Bryan College Station, Texas and surrounding areas. And if you're in the market to buy or sell a home, I highly suggest you give Laura Lee a call or text her and start that conversation. She won't disappoint. That's what we did. And she found us our dream home and made the entire process extremely enjoyable. So her number is 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. If you want to support the podcast monetarily and you love to drink coffee, head over to 95adventures.com and check out the custom coffee blends that we have in stock over there. And if you want to support the podcast, the most important way that is like, rate, and review this episode or podcast on your listening platform, screenshot the episode such as this one, and then post it to your social media. Tag us, tag the guest, whatever it is. Just know that when you do that, you really help us out a lot, and we really appreciate it. Okay, this episode is with astrosfuture.com the reporter of all things on the future prospects and the Astros team, Jimmy Price. Had a great time talking to him and i so excited I didn't even uh, get his plugs and shout outs. So go to astrosfuture.com and it's Astros Future on Twitter and on Facebook. You can follow him all right there. It was a blast talking Astros and how he got into reporting. It's a really, really cool story and really inspirational if you think about it, that all you got to do is start with something free like Twitter, and it can make it into something so grand. So anyway, I'll let Jimmy explain about his story and also about the future of the Astros organization. No further delay, here's Jimmy Price. All right, Jimmy, we are recording. All right. Sweet, man. Well, thanks for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it. As you can tell uh, from my Facebook page, it's me, my family, in Astros gear, in the Torchies area, sitting on the steps taking a picture. So I'm a little bit of an Astros fan, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, I w- I'm really curious to like. I saw your page. I followed you on Twitter, and then we went back and forth actually about TV shows. Um, <laughs> and then wanted to have you on the podcast, uh, and it's kind of an honor to see you like. Like talk to somebody who does research, covers the prospects and everything like that on the team. But really, I want to know how someone even like how did you just get into doing this and covering it? Um, what's like a I guess like a pathway into getting to reporting on the team? Yeah, I guess I'm, I kind of I don't want to say lucked into it, but I uh, you know I was just I was bored. Uh, you know, the Astros were. I've always been a fan of prospects, but you know, 2013 Astros were not good. The major league team was not good. Um, the prospects were the the best part of the organization at that point. You know, they had um, high draft picks and they made trades and, and brought in some good prospects. So um, I was always intrigued with it. So I just you know was looking at the box scores and looking at numbers and you know I kind of I wanted a way to interact with people about the prospects, a way to you know to talk about them and share stats and things like that. So I was like, yeah, let me make a Twitter and, and see how you know where this goes. So I made a Twitter, and um, you know, each night I was I'd go through the I'd watch the games, go through the box scores, and just tweet out the lines of guys how they're doing. You know what? You know if Carlos Correa was one for four with the homer or whatever, um, and just kind of started doing that, and it, it kind of took off, and I started gaining followers. I ended up um, after I, I couldn't tell you exactly what time it was, but a site called House of Houston, um, which just covers like a bunch of Houston sports, uh, asked me if I wanted to do some writing. Um, so I went ahead and, and started with them and just started doing like some minor league recaps and. and 
um, you know, and prospect lists and things like that. Um, I did that for a little while, and then, you know, I said, I thought to myself, you know, if I have a, a decent following and everything, why am I, you know, writing for somebody else? Why don't I just, you know, start my own thing? Um, so back in 2016, I decided to create my own website, which is AstrosFuture.com, um, and then just kind of carried on what I was doing there with, with the recaps, the top prospects, interviews, things like that. Um, and really just the the following, you know, on Twitter and, um, and Facebook and the connections I've made with the organizations and, and scouts and stuff is kind of, has kind of went to my, you know, credibility. You know, I haven't, I didn't go to school for journalism or anything like that. I didn't, you know, um, I'm, I, I didn't, um, you know, take any professional classes of how to, how to interview somebody, anything like that. Um, but just through the kind of the work that I've put in and the, the connections I've made on Twitter, I've been able to, you know, to, to, um, kind of build a brand a little bit and, and get, you know, and, I say this and it sounds a little weird to say, but gain people's trust, you know, so they can, they know that, you know, they can trust me when they tell me things. And, um, you know, and then like I've made a, started to make a bunch of trips down to Round Rock, Corpus Christi, um, and, and talk to people down there. And it's, uh, it's just kind of blossomed into, it started as a hobby. It's still a hobby, but it's just, it's just a lot bigger hobby than when it first started. <laughs> it's so crazy that it started from you just starting a Twitter about it and tweeting about something yeah. that you really love, like you really enjoy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like, and that's all it was is I, I didn't, I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have these goals when I started it. It was just a, I was on some Astros forums, you know, and we talked about prospects and I'm like, Man, this is okay, but I want another way where I can just like tweet out, you know, well, I didn't think the word tweet, but where I can share, you know, how guys are doing because you know, the, the, I mean, this is the, this is the highlight of the, the system right now is the, the, the minor league prospects. So yeah, I started doing that. And then, you know, the, the, the retweets came and the followers came and, um, you know, I always told my wife, you know, the more followers you get, the more you'll get because people think you're, you know, you're more legit and it just started growing. And um, especially when the draft comes around and, and I think, you know, I, I found to realize, you know, what, what really helped, especially early on is, you know, people talked about Carlos Correa and Mark Appel and all the top prospects, but, you know, I was putting out the, the numbers on guys that were drafted in, you know, the 38th round or something like that. And uh, I could see, you know, especially early on, you know, a lot of the family members were following and, and you know, retweet my stuff and commented and stuff. So it was nice to see, uh, and I still get that, uh, but family members and friends of the lesser known prospects. And, and I, I know they like to see, you know, their, uh, their family member or their friend getting some, some shine on Twitter. Oh, for sure, man. I'm just picturing myself as a parent right now. Like if somebody like started posting stuff about my kid, I'd follow him in a heartbeat and I'd, <laughs> I'd be with it. But like that just shows to like the detail of what you did. You said you started in like 2013 kind of doing that. Yep, yeah, I started the Twitter in 2013, I think right at the end of the 2013 season. Um, I was, like I said, I was on a, on an Astros forum, that's kind of where I started, and me and a guy, we'd always go back and forth, and I, I went to there, but um, after a few years there, that's when I decided to go ahead and create the website, and that was in uh, March 2016, so actually, it's coming up on, on four years now. It's crazy that you can earn, like, the players' trust and the organization's trust, because, I, I mean, I scan your website, I see the stuff, like, you talk to the players, um, like you said, you have, you know, you made a relationship with scouts and you get trust. It's crazy that you can gain their trust. And I guess it, it's a long time between, you know, seven years that you've been doing it. So when you say that, it's like, whoa, he's been doing it for seven years. But really in that short amount of time, you've like, like inched your way up with details and earning trust. Like you said, that's super important to be like honest and trustworthy with those people because so many people are just trying to get a story and stab people in the back and all sorts of stuff. Right, I got I got lucky to, to get um, connected with a few scouts at the end. They're no uh, the ones that I was good friends with. They're no longer scouts with them, but um, they're you know they were very helpful when I, I went to them with some questions early on. 
Um, and then we just kind of started talking, and one of them ended up becoming a real good friend of mine. And, um, you know, we had good – he shared information with me, and you know, but um, like I said, we just kind of built that trust that he knew I wasn't going to go, you know, straight to Facebook or Twitter and be like, hey, look at this, you know. And um, But then just, uh, you know, I've, I've had uh, things that have been kind of humbling, really, where, you know, like someone like – uh, I know this is, I know everything has happened now and Jeff Leno got fired or suspended and fired. Um, but you know, he followed me on Twitter and he commented on some of my stuff and he RT, you know, retweeted some of my tweets about the lesser known prospects. And then Mike Goliath, who's the GM with the Orioles. Now he follows me on Twitter and same thing. Um, you know, Goldstein, who's still with the Astros, he did the same thing. And a couple of years ago, you know, I, I mentioned something in the season, you know, oh, it was a great season. Thanks for following. And he replied back something along the lines of, you know, thanks for keeping all the Astros fans up to date on the organization. You know, like little things like that. But, I mean, high-ranking people in the organization and um, and really in the media around the Houston area and the Astros, have, have, you know, have been very uh, polite, generous, helping. You know, I, I've reached out to a bunch of them, asked them questions too, and um, and they've all helped it helped it grow. Well, I mean, I can't imagine how humbling that would be for, I mean, you put it in great words by saying humble because here's these guys at the top of the organization going, hey man, thank you for keeping the fans posted on this stuff. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. Hold right. on. Me? I'm keeping them posted? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, you know, and I like to do it, but it's just to, to get that kind of, um, to get that kind of response from somebody in the organization. And obviously they have a, a ton of stuff on their plate, but for them to, to recognize, you know, the, the Twitter account that I had and, and the, the numbers I put out. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. It, it is awesome, man. And to like, not even go like just, this is, this is something that built out of a passion. Like, I love this story. Like the whole thing, even though like it's real quick, you can sum it up real fast and all that, but it's, it's just a cool background like, if, hey, man, I want to do something. I'm going to do it as a hobby. I got a job. Like, what's your family think of watching this thing grow? Yeah. So that that is actually the, uh, the interesting part there is early on, you know, and I, I've gotten a little more relaxed with it. But early on, you know, I mean, I was basically every single prospect, every single night, you know, putting their, their stat line, two for four with a double, two RBIs, whatever. Um, guys that are, you know, way down in the minors all the way up to AAA. Um, and it took, you know, it took a lot. You know, I was, I was on my phone, on my, on my computer a lot. And, you know, I heard it from my wife a little bit, um, but she understands. You know, she she knows the grind that it takes to, you know, to be able to, to gain a following and everything. And that's really what it took was just, uh, you know, like you said, it, it was a hobby, but it was something that I, I really enjoyed doing. And, and I, I didn't get on, you know, and watch the games and get on the box scores as a. It didn't feel like it was a chore or a job. You know, I did it because I wanted to. I, I wanted to know how the prospects are doing, and and I genuinely felt like people on Twitter also wanted to know because. You know, that's that's all we could count on at this point uh, or at that point in time, you know, was the prospects of the major league team was so bad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy doing it. She um, she would give me crap about it every now and then. But, you know, she understand it or you know, understood what I was what I was doing. Um, and, you know, it just it took a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, you know, I mean, I sat in front of the TV, watched a lot of Astros games, watched a lot of, uh, you know, Hooks games. And and uh, at the time it was the Fresno Grizzlies games on uh you know, on, on MLB or MILB.TV. Um, but yeah, just, you know, putting that effort in is kind of what helped it, helped it grow to what it is. <laughs> that's, that's so awesome, man. Well, okay. To switch gears. Now you posted a thing today about your top 100 prospects. Like you've got them all figured out. I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't posted it yet, um, on any sort of website or whatever, but, um, just a couple, if you have them like a, Mention a couple of like the top guys in the Astros organization that you're thinking that you're watching that like, hey man, these guys could be really really good. 
Yeah, I think everyone knows Force Whitley is the, is the top Astros prospect right now, and he, you know, he's drafted in the first round out of high school a few years ago, and he's had a couple couple rough seasons with uh, a suspension and some injuries, but he still has um, the size, the, the he has all the makings of a you know a top flight pitcher. Um, you go down from there, you got a guy Abraham Toro who we saw a little bit last year with the Astros, uh, switch hitter, plays third base. Um, you know, Young has a has, has, has good good power to the you know more to the uh, to the gaps, you know, more uh, gap power, doubles power than necessarily home run power. Uh, but then we have a bunch of intriguing pitchers, and the Astros farm system right now is ranked low by a lot of the um, a lot of the, the experts right now. But I, I really like the pitch and depth that, that we've you know uh, have at this point. And the Astros have a ton of pitchers that they took out of college and turned into legit pitching prospects, and and that has kind of built the depth in the system. And like Brandon Belock is one who we've seen in spring this so far. Uh, Tyler Ivy is another. Those guys were drafted out of, out of college um, and have came into the system and turned themselves into legitimate prospects. But so you got those guys. You got Christian Javier, who we've seen a little bit in spring as well. Uh, he's posted insane numbers in the minors, and you know he'll be in AAA this year. Um, Jeremy Pena is a shortstop prospect who is phenomenal with the glove. Had a really good year with the bat last year. He's probably going to be in Double A this year. So you know he's another guy that we're looking to. Hopefully, you know he can bounce on her. Uh, start hitting, you know, more at the the higher level, and really make his name known, and you know, start making some top hundred uh, prospect list next year. What do you do? You think this pitching, like the pitching that we have, is the new rule? And for people who don't know, the better the pitcher has to come in and face three batters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think there's that a, there's a couple like reasons, like if there's an injury or the end of an inning. So if you bring, if there's two outs, you bring in a lefty, he gets the guy out. He doesn't have to start the new innings, uh, but but yeah, I mean it's it's definitely going to change some of the, some of the way that you know managers are, are doing stuff. Do you think the style of pitching the Astros have helps? Like that rule helps them out? Yeah, I do. I think the Astros have kind of um, a lot of the the relievers you've probably seen and, and people have probably noticed that they bring up are all they're molded as a multi inning inning guys. You know, the Astros do a, a piggyback system where um, I mean, like. Enoli Paredes last, or last year, he's a he pitched in Double uh, A. Um, I think he he pitched in 22 games, but 12 of them were starts. So he came out of the pen 10 times, um, you know. And in those 10 times, he'll pitch three, four, five innings. So I think they they built the depth of having guys that can go multiple innings, multiple, you know. So like Brian Abreu, for instance, he started a lot of games last year, comes up and he pitches in relief. Josh James is the same way. He can. So you know, you're not having to worry about guys that can only go in and get you one or two hitters. They can pitch two, three innings that they need to. Um, but I also think the Astros have, have to kind of turned their system and, and their thinking, and I think a lot of teams are going this way. But, you know, you don't need a lefty to get a lefty out as long as you have a pitcher who can get lefties out. It doesn't matter if he's a lefty or a righty. And I think that's beneficial now because you, you can't bring in a lefty to get a lefty out because you're going you're not, you're gonna to have to leave him in for the next, you know, two hitters at least unless the, the inning's about to be over. So um, with the way the Astros are doing it, they don't have a lefty specialist. They basically just – rely on guys who can get hitters out. Um, I think I think this rule doesn't I, – I don't think it's going to be a huge effect to the way that their uh, their system is made. Didn't they have mainly right-handers last year anyway? Yeah, I mean, like Chris Davinsky was a guy who we kind of relied on to get lefties out because he had a you know a really good changeup, and I know he's had his struggles. But, yeah, we haven't had a, you know, a, a lefty-only guy in, in quite a while. And, uh, you know, they, they've had some lefties that have came through the system. CNL Perez came up last year, but he's not a – He's not a you know a guy that's going to go get lefties out at an extreme rate. So like I said, they they just they they get guys who can get guys out. It doesn't matter if you're if you pitch a lefty or righty or both hands. It doesn't matter as long as you can get guys out. That's all they care about. And I think that's 
that's one thing that really like makes sense to me. Um, I've always heard the you know the argument and the pitchers bringing them in and whatnot, but the hitting has changed. If you watch it, like people, the guys hit different. There was no way you could do like shifts back in the day on people, like for the most part, because they hit differently. Now the way guys hit and all that, you, like the pitching, it doesn't make as much of a difference. That I believe, and this kind of this kind of levels the playing field and makes those relief. Pitch- I like the rule because it. I think it makes the pitchers have to actually pitch and then it'll speed the game up a lot yeah i I like it too i I think it's it's going to make it more uh interesting for managers i think it's gonna um you know you know you used to put you you didn't want to stack lefties together because you didn't want a lefty to come in and have to get you know two or three you you didn't want to have to afford the opportunity to the other team to have a a lefty pitcher come in and shut down your lefties well that rule that's still going to apply but now that lefty pitcher they bring in to face Jordan Alvarez or Michael Brantley is going to have to face, you know, George Springer or Yuli Gurriel or Alex Brantley, however the Astros lineup is. But, um, you know, you're going to have to – I think it's it's going to be a benefit to the Astros. I mean, a lot of teams too, but um, I do think it's going to speed up the game. I think it's uh, I, I think it's good for, for pitchers like, like a, a, you know, a Brian Abreu uh, that now, you know, teams are going to need guys who can get multiple guys out. And the, the need for uh, these lefty pitchers that can only get lefties out is going to go down a little bit. Yeah, so, okay, I got another question for you that's on the top of my head because this kind of stuff, like, really intrigues me because I love these kind of stories, and that is a guy in the minor leagues and the farm system, whatever, that you've been watching that kind of the radar is not on him, he's not touted as something good that you think will be good. Um, well, Brandon Belock is a guy that I've, I've mentioned a couple times. and the, the Astros drafted him out of Notre Dame last year. I mean, uh, sorry, 2017 in the 11th round. Um, and his numbers in college, if you go look at him, you'd almost wonder why he got drafted. I mean, his junior year, his numbers were not good at all. Um, but he came into the system, and he's been really, really good since. Uh, last year, he kind of he kind of struggled a little bit. When you look at the overall numbers, he finished the year in AAA, and he, in AAA he had a 4.41 ERA. Um, but if you dive a little bit deeper, in 11 of the last 12 starts of the season, he had a 2.05 ERA. And if, if you know anything about the Pacific Coast League, uh, it's a hit here in paradise, you know, guys. I mean, the the the, the run and home runs that that were being hit in the PCL last year were, were hitting numbers we've never seen before. Um, so for him to go in and have success over the last, you know, uh, eleven of the last twelve starts that he did in, or that he pitched in the tri- uh, in AAA and in the PCL um, is really, you know, really nice to see moving forward. And he's already pitched in two games so far this spring, and he's just a guy to me that has has the stuff and has the the build and. Um, the uh, the I guess just the ability to, to kind of come in and anchor your rotation as a, a number four or five. You know, he's not going to be a number one, a Justin Verlander or something like that. But you need those guys that can still come in and, and pitch two hundred innings a year. And, and I kind of feel like he's the guy that's going to do that. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about this team with Dusty Baker and like the actual team there with Dusty Baker? And then who do you think's going to be called up in the middle of the season? Yeah, I, I love the hire of Dusty Baker. I think he's a, a perfect guy for the, the Astros team right now. He's well-respected by the players, by the media, by other other players, uh, managers, everything. Um, and I mentioned it before, but you know, with, with everything the Astros are going through, if you bring in a young manager um, that doesn't have experience, so it would have been it would have been extremely hard because he would have had to work to earn the Astros players' respect. So I, I don't think Dusty Baker had to do that. Um, 
I mean, he still will to an extent because he's never managed a lot of these guys, but they all know who he is. They know he's been around. They know, you know, what he's done as a manager um, and the way he handles the media and everything. So I think he already had the respect of the players. The media already has his respect. So he's, I think he's, he's the perfect guy to kind of, you know, weather their storm, you know, with the Astros right now. Um, So I really like that hire. Uh, As far as prospects that will come up this, this, you know, this uh, summer, hopefully Forrest Whitley's one of them. I talked about Christian Javier is another guy who's been dominant in the minor leagues and um, has a pretty good chance to probably end up coming up this year. Um, position players is going to be a little harder just because, you know, the Astros roster is pretty set. Um, and, and that's not even taking into account Kyle Tucker, who really doesn't have a spot at this point. Uh, so really you're going to be looking at the pitchers and, and Brandon Belock, Forrest Whitley, Christian Javier. Um, a lot of these pitchers that are in AAA this year are probably going to get an opportunity at some point. You know, the Astros are, they got Lance McCullers coming back, but obviously he's not going to be able to go 200 innings this year, first year off of Tommy John surgery. Um, the fifth starter is kind of still up in the air. So I think you're going to see a, a lot of pitchers kind of shuffling between AAA and MLB. Um, hopefully some of them come up and, and dominate, and you know, they're able to stick in the rotation. I'm glad you said Tucker because my brother actually asked me. He's like, oh, man, I can't believe this is awesome. Ask him what he thinks about Tucker if he's going to sure. actually break out this season. Like, Can you just ask him that one question? Yeah, actually, I really like Kyle Tucker. And I, I, I do think that the whole cheating scandal this offseason kind of um, you know, stalled the Astros. They weren't able to make moves. I, I really thought they were going to find a way to move Josh Reddick just to open up right field for Tucker every day. I think that's what he needs at the major league level is, is every day at bats because you know guys are going to go through slumps, especially early on. Um, but last year in the in the pros, he hit pretty well, um, and I think he's got the ability to, to be a, a quality you know player, a All Star level player. Uh, but he just needs a consistent at bats. There's no point in keeping him on the bench and starting him every once or four or five days. So that's just not going to really benefit his development. Um, but I really like him as a player. To me, he seems like a guy who you know is going to hit 280 with 25 homers. Uh, you know, and, and there's probably some more pop in that bat too. Uh, I just think he really needs that opportunity. And you know, if Reddick is okay with it, I'd love to see him take the bench role and let t- you know Kyle Tucker get the the starting spot. I know they're going to fight for it, um, but I just think Kyle Tucker really needs that that opportunity to to show what he can do at the major league level and, and do it on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, this, the with the scandal, it's really hard to make moves because who wants to come over to the Astros in the middle of all that? Yeah, and then, you know, and then there, I mean, you know, Jeff Luno, we see the, the end result, right, where he gets suspended, he gets fired. But as this whole investigation going on, he knows what's going on. He knows the players are talking, and he knows that A.J. Hinch is talking. And, you know, he's not going to be able to call up teams and, and, and you know, and, and everything be really taken seriously. And I, I do think a normal offseason, the Astros probably would have moved Josh Reddick to, to get rid of his contract because he's getting paid a lot for a guy of, of his caliber at this point in his career. Um, and because we have a guy who should be a starting right fielder right now, but I think the whole scandal just kind of put a wrench in those plans. But um, we'll see what happens. We'll see if Click makes some moves to open up a spot for Tucker. Uh, but either way, he's still young. I mean, even if he doesn't start, you know, this year, he's still. I think he's 22, 23 years old. So he's still got. Uh, he's still got a great future, and, and hopefully, they find some room for him. Oh no! Another Juan Soto. <laughs> 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 the jokes and the memes about that about Joe Buck talking about his ages are hilarious sometimes. I mean, like, I I really enjoyed this past World Series a lot. It it like it was so entertaining to watch. I know I know the Astros lost, but it really was like a crazy intense. So many intense moments in the actual games. I mean, some of the end of the numbers were like you know there were several runs you know difference, 
But the actual like intense moments in the game where either team could have won at any moment, it was a lot of fun. Like I had a blast watching this World Series. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it too. Um, I had a lot going on on the personal side, and nothing bad. But you know, we were we were remodeling our house uh, right at the you know middle of October in no, or beginning of November. So we kind of um, you know we were kind of in and out of the house. We we were doing all kinds of stuff. So I was actually staying with a friend, watching over there. So um, I wasn't like tuned in as much as I was in 2017. And I think I think with 2017, especially prior to all the cheap stuff come out, is you know I have been a, a big Astros fan for my entire life, and I've never seen. You know, Houston bring home a World Series, and to finally see them do it, it almost just felt like a, a weight was lifted off, and and I can relax my fandom just a little bit because now I'm I'm content. You know, we have a World Series, um, but no, this World Series last year was really good. I think you know, um, it, it was nice to see guys rise rise to the occasion. You know, we got to see Jose or Kitty end up being one of the best pitchers in the World Series this year, and, and now he's basically got himself a, a, a starting spot locked up this year because of what he did last year and in the postseason. Um, so I, I enjoy the World Series. Obviously, I didn't enjoy the ending. Um, and I, you know, we can sit here all day and talk about AJ Hinch pulling Zach Greinke out and not putting Garrett Cole in. And nah. gosh, if there's a way I could have any control of that, just let Garrett Cole pitch the, the last two and a third or two and two thirds innings of the game and just kind of seal it that way or one and two thirds whenever Greinke came out, um, and, and rather than bringing in Will Harris. But you know, 2020 vision is, or you know, hindsight is always always a lot more clear and. Uh, now, I know he, he made the decision that he thought was right at the time, unfortunately, it did I mean, you've got Harris, who does good. Um, and really, man, the one thing that gets me is the grinky pitch. He's smoking people, and he throws a strike right down the middle. I mean, right down the middle. And he freezes the umpire. He freezes the batter. He freezes everybody. And they're like, wait, that was strike three, wasn't it? Like, I even thought that. I was like, oh, he's going to go... Whoa! He called that a ball. That's insane. And then they end up, you know, going ahead in that inning and having to bring in right. Harris and it like little moments like that. It wasn't even like it really wasn't anybody's fault. Like I wasn't even picking on the umpire. It was just such a crazy good pitch. It happened, and then I'm going. If that's called a strike, this game is totally flipped on its head. You know, completely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that, that's a unfortunate part of um, the human error I guess in the game right is that you know one call like that could legitimately change a, a whole game and, and you know we, we got to see it happen unfortunately on the bad side yeah I mean but it also you got to recover from those sort of things and the calls and you know you make a you know you got to make your pitch Greeky pitched a heck of a game it was like I felt bad for him having to be on that end of it but um, mm-hmm. because he pitched way better than the end result of that game but um, it was a lot of fun I liked it, and in 2017, I felt the same way you did, being an Astros fan since I was a little bitty kid. Like, I saved my money up, and and because I knew I was going to this game, my my aunt got tickets. Our whole family was like big Astros fans. Got tickets to the. It was in the mid 80s. I want to say it was 85, something like that. They played Gary Carter and the Mets in the divisional series, and the Astrodome. I I got to go watch them play that game, and I saved my money up just so I could get an actual professional hat. You know, when I was growing up, I didn't want the clip right. back. I wanted the fitted hat from the stadium because I thought that's where the pros get their hats. Right. And uh, so that was my first Astros experience. And then when they went to the World Series with the White Sox, I stayed up for that extremely long game, and I had to be up at like 3 o'clock in the morning 
to go. I stayed up till right before I was like, I think it was 1 a.m. And I went, I got to get at least a couple hours sleep before I go work and wake up to them losing. And I'm like, no, this is terrible. I can't like that. That was like gut wrenching. So in 2017, when they won, I was like, man, this is so amazing. And then the scandal happens and it it deflated me so much because I was like, I can't believe that the team I've cheered for for so long, and and this is happening to them. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was it sucked to see, you know. And I I still feel, um, and I'm not trying to be an apologist, but I still feel it's it's more of a league wide um, thing, cheating thing that you know. And I'm not saying that the whole league is banging on trash cans, but I think the sign stealing thing is something that's going on league wide and. And I think that's what's most frustrating about it is it, it really feels like the Astros are kind of being singled out. And I know they took it to a level that other teams didn't. Um, but for people to act like that other teams aren't finding a way to steal signs is, to me, just – it blows my mind. I mean, why would the Astros think that the, the, the roster that they have, no one would open up their mouth? You know, why would they feel comfortable doing what they're doing, knowing that next year, you know, 10 of the guys that are on this team are going to be on other teams and, and the manager is going to be somewhere else, the assistant coach and stuff. I feel like the only reason they feel comfortable doing that is because they knew that everyone in the league tries to steal signs. It tries to, you know, I don't even want to necessarily say cheat, but they, they try to get signs and, and use them to the best of their ability. Um, and the Astros did that. They used the technology and they just decided to bang on trash cans. I just, you know, to me, these guys are professional players. They're, you know, they're adults. They're well-educated. So, you know, you got a guy, the, the uh, you know, A.J. Hinch is a phenomenal manager, you know, really educated guy. And it's all happening. And I just think the only reason they were content letting it happen and letting, you know, letting the guys like, like uh, Marvin Gonzalez, you know, move on to another team is because they know that other teams are doing it too. Maybe just to not, you know, maybe not to that extent. Um, that's, that's my, but, you know, we can keep talking about it and, you know, Rob Manfred can do his investigation. Uh, but at this point we, you know, they kind of dug the hole. We got to live with it. I don't think that they deserve to be thrown at necessarily. Cause I think you're responding to cheating in a, in a baseball game and your response is to, to potentially injure somebody. We've seen people, you know, get legitimately injured, you know, get hit by fastball. So I don't think that's a fair response. Um, but I understand, you know, other fans and, and especially the fan, I understand other fan bases being, being, you know, mad and pissed off that the Astros have done this. Well, this, here's the thing, and this is what this is what I say. I do not like the cheating thing, and I it's kind of like the Tour de France deal. Like, well, I mean, everybody's doing it. I was like, that doesn't make it right, you know. In right. my eyes, like it, that that still doesn't make it exactly like okay. That's kind of a weird argument to make. I understand, but this is what makes me like. It, this is what makes the whole outrage, and I'm more I'm more on the outrage side, like watching people go crazy when the the players on the Red Sox, the Yankees were fined for cheating in the same game they reported the Red Sox for. And then the Dodgers want to sit back and say the 2017 World Series needs to be vacated and welcome Mookie Betts, who beat them in 2018 in the World Series. Right, and that's like, you know, Carlos Beltran was with with the Yankees uh, for a couple years. He comes to the Astros for one year, and supposedly he was a, a big advocate of the system, right? And kind of helped, you know, incorporate the system. Alex Cora, too. He's, he's with the Astros for the one year. He leaves and he goes and um, does something with the Yankees. I forgot exactly what his title was. So, you know, in a, in a five-year span, he was with the Yankees four years with the Astros one year. But the only year that he cheated was the years with the Astros. You know, he didn't he didn't carry any of this over to the Yankees. He didn't start any of it with the Yankees. That just, to me, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem plausible. You know, if, 
if Carlos Beltran knew that the Astros got away with it in 2017 and they won a World Series and he went to another organization, why would he not implement that? And I'm not necessarily saying the trash game banging, but why wouldn't he implement some kind of cheating thing or, you know, or sign stealing um, that would help the Yankees? Because that's his goal when he's going over there. He's trying to win another World Series. Yeah, exactly. I mean, are the other teams doing it? Yeah, there's probably a lot of teams. Every team in baseball, this is one thing that I truly believe is that baseball, like, Baseball makes itself out to be this holier-than-thou sport where everybody's super clean and doesn't do anything, and that's the fault kind of where it is. Like Every sport, people are trying – look at the Patriots. They're videotaping people from the sideline. People report them. It just gets washed under the rug, you know? Um, the weird thing is there's not the outrage with the – I can't figure it out. I don't know why. There's not that outrage with the Red Sox. And the Yankees hate the Red Sox probably more than the Astros – but yet the Yankees pile on the Astros. Um, yeah, I think I think because yeah, really, you know, I mean, we, we've owned the, the Yankees the last three postseasons that we you know played. Then we knocked them out in fifteen, seventeen, and nineteen. I think that has a little bit to do with it. Um, and then I think you know the Red Sox investigation hasn't came out yet. And there was the little bit of there was the note where they got fined about the the Apple Watch. But as far as I know, Manfred is still doing his investigation. Um, it's now if his investigation comes out and it shows that. You know, the players admitted that they were cheating through this. I think you'll see a lot of the outrage shift towards the Red Sox, especially, like you mentioned, the Yankees fans. Um, but right now, I think the only, you know, legitimate information that they have from the MLB commissioner is that the Astros cheated all of 2017, a little bit of 2018, and that the Red Sox were fined for an isolated incident where they used an Apple Watch. So I think that's why you're seeing that outrage on the Astros and not the, the Red Sox at this point is because – um, just all the evidence against the Astros and so limited against the Red Sox for, for right now. Now, when his investigation's over and the report comes out on the Red Sox, I think that may switch a little bit. It's it's such a weird thing, too, that the media... I, I listen to these guys talk, and it's weird how they love to build up a mob. Like, they built it. And when I say they built it, like, people are upset. Yes, they're upset. But then these people come out with these crazy stories... Fueling this fire because it gets clicks. Obviously, it sells yeah. for them. It makes them good. But then you have things like the Josh Reddick thing, where people are talking about his kid. Like, dude, they cheated at a game, and maybe he didn't cheat. Like, this is the whole thing, and this is what I heard Pete Rose say uh, on a podcast that make total sense. He's like, okay, you want to punish the players? Well, what if there's a guy on the team that didn't cheat? Like, you're just lumping them all in because you caught some cheating but you don't know who's cheating you don't know who was actually a part of it like that's too hard uh it's too hard of a thing to punish and the commissioner the people in charge of that that is too difficult of a situation to be put in where you have to try to punish the players and and do whatever so um all that stuff is like really really difficult to handle make decisions and yet the people reporting on it still want to create this crazy mob to go and attack people personally, and then they retract immediately like, right. oh, well, I, I'm not promoting that. Are you kidding me? And that, and that's more of what I'm like, oh, I wish that culture would just go away. Right. But, I mean, I think I think we've seen this culture, you know, in the United States before, and I think we saw it with the, the you know, 2016 election and, and, and how it's been since then, and not to get political, you know, what side, you know, anyone's on, but... You know, I think we saw the way that people teamed up on one side and teamed up on the other. And then, you know, it didn't, I mean, the, the smallest rumor turns into a huge story about this guy or that guy. And I think that's just the way that 
the media is driving things right now is they want clicks and the way to get clicks is, is these outlandish stories. And we saw that with the Astros too. Um, but I think what a lot of people forget too, especially the ones that want every single person punished is the only, the reason Rob Manfred was able to conduct a thorough investigation is because he gave immunity to the players. If you would have told the players, you know, uh, if, if y'all admit to cheating, you know, you're not, you, you know, you're going to be suspended or you're going to be, you know, suspended for, you'll never be able to play baseball again. I mean, how many of them would have actually told the truth? And then, if, even if a few of them did, so, you know, you'd be basically saying having one player that said it happened, the other one saying it didn't happen, with zero evidence other than hearing a banging on a, on a, on a, a video. You know, you wouldn't have been able to actually see anyone hitting a trash can. So, how do you, how do you go about punishing at that point with, with a lack of evidence? So, he had to give immunity so the players would tell the truth. And that's the only reason he was able to conduct a thorough investigation. So, the people that want the players punished... Um, they, they, they really, their issue is really with them giving immunity, but if you wouldn't have given immunity to the players, I don't think he would have been able to get near as much information, obviously, and um, his investigation would have been, it, it wouldn't have been near what it was because you probably would have, say he interviewed 30 players, I mean, realistically, how many of those guys would have actually told the truth about what they were doing if they knew that the truth would get them banned from baseball for life, you know, and I think it would have been a lot, a lot lower, and then you basically have um, a he said, you know, he said, he said, versus you know, versus each other, and then you're trying to figure out which one's telling the truth. And that's that's another weird thing too. I mean, those like what you bring up is a good point. Um, I think a lot of people. I've, I think I heard you say that before on on another podcast that I listen to or whatever. But I mean, it's really a good point that I didn't even think about at the time. Like, it makes his job even tougher. Like, how are you going to figure out they're cheating? Well, you need to get some players to talk. Most players in a dugout are not going to rat on their teammates. Why? Because you're a bad teammate. Most managers not going to rat on the the team because how do you get another job in there if you're not a good team player with you know with your team? You you handle that stuff like in house and respect. You know, like there's a way to conduct it. All that stuff. Like uh, I'm really surprised that some players have come out and just been like slamming and speaking out. Like just like really throw people under the bus. And I'm like. That's kind of a lousy teammate, right? Yeah, no, and it's it's been it's been pretty crazy, you know. And I mean, obviously, Mike Fires got the ball rolling, but we've seen other players that were on the seventeen team and went to other teams and kind of, you know, they've kind of either kept their mouth shut or they just they just you know had a flat, you know, they apologized for it, but didn't go into you know diming out other teammates or this guy started it or whatever. And, um, and you know, like you said, I or I'd mentioned it, but yeah, Manfred was he was put in a tough spot, you know, and I mean. People want him to do a thorough investigation, but they also want the players punished. But there's, it's, it basically would have been impossible to do both. Um, so he chose, I'm going to do a thorough investigation with immunity. Uh, and I, and I, the whole thing with the Astros was, you know, and with Jim Crane is he's trying to get rid of the culture, and I think he did that. You know, firing the GM and firing the head coach, especially two that were as uh, successful as them, I think, you know, sends a, uh, a shockwave kind of throughout the whole organization, you know, kind of putting everyone on notice, you know, that Jim Crane isn't going to mess around because you know, he could have easily just done with the suspension and, and kept the guys because they were so successful at their jobs, but he decided to, to go ahead and just get rid of them and um, kind of start from scratch. Yeah, and started a trend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, then none of the other teams had any choice after he did that, but right, yeah. I don't want to switch, I'm going to switch gears to something positive now um, and, and go on to, I, I want to know what, like what you enjoy most about covering the Astros and not just the Astros, like the big league team, what you love most about covering the minor league teams. 
I, to me, the best part about it is is every year. It doesn't matter if you have the number one ranked farm system or if you have the, the number thirty ranked farm system. Is every year when minor league baseball starts, there's always optimism, right? You got uh, you got an organization full of prospects, and, and we've seen, especially with the Astros recently, is there's always a guy that breaks out that wasn't. Um, a top guy going into the season, and to me, that's the the best part about it is you got these guys in there, you know, down there that are that are you know fighting for their lives. They're not making a lot of money, but their ultimate goal is to make it to the big league club, and, and they're going to do whatever it takes to get there. Um, so to be able to watch these guys that that kind of come from nothing or they're late round draft picks and end up having really phenomenal seasons and just progressing their way through, and I mean, a lot of the guys, you know, I mean, I, I remember when Bregman was drafted. Uh, went down and you know saw him, saw Correa, McCullers, all those guys, you know, play in Corpus Christi, and to be able to see them kind of you know work their way through um, the minor league system, and, and now they're stars. And, and I mean, you know, Bregman is probably one of the you know top three most uh, popular players in all of baseball at this point. Um, and just to be able to see that, you know, it, it, that to me is what the the best part about it is. And you know, like I said, every year there's a guy that that is either drafted late or signed for ten thousand dollars. That ends up, you know, making his way through the system and having a breakout year, um, and just the optimism is always there. At least for me, I'm I'm an optimist, anyways. But knowing when I look at the Astros system, I can I can you know choose five or six guys and say, man, this guy might break out this year. And then you know, if one of them does, then it's just you know, it's kind of a it's just a blessing to, to have a system like that, I guess, where guys are breaking out every year. Um, but just the, the optimism that's with the, the minor league thing. That's that that's kind of what drew me to it, anyways. You know, is, is seeing the progression. Um, and, and that's probably that's probably the thing I look forward to most about covering the minor league system. With your optimism and like passion for this, and the Astros like kind of being a fan and a reporter on it, do you find it tough sometimes to write an honest, uh, like an honest assessment of a player's ability and skill? And like, is that a tough thing for you to do, especially like as close as you get to following these minor league kids who are working hard? And like you said, their parents are on Twitter following you. Um, does that get a little difficult for you to actually make an honest assessment of people? Yeah, I think that I think you bring up a, a phenomenal point, actually. And yeah, it is. Um, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, not only do I see them following or you know liking the tweets on Twitter, but uh, uh, quite a few of them have messaged me. They've reached out. I've talked to their parents. I've I've met their parents when I've gone down to the games and stuff. And it's tough to give you know an honest ass- assessment, especially the guys that I, I've, I've talked to on Twitter. I've done interviews with and things like that. Um, you know, when some of the guys are struggling, but like you said, the optimism in me always kind of makes me look at, you know, the, the bright side of, of what someone has. And, like, I could give you an example. J.J. Uh, Matajevic, who's, who the Astros drafted a few years back, um, he had a, last year's season was kind of down. He doesn't provide much uh, versatility, and, and, you know, defensively. Uh, his calling card is his bat. But he's got power, and he's got a tool that you can look at and say, man, you know, he's got a tool that can carry him to the bigs, and that's his power and his bat. Um, so, anytime, you know, if I was to write something about him, I tend to focus on the bright side rather than, you know, negative. I mean, you, if you go to my site and you click on an article, most of the stuff, there's nothing, there's nothing really negative. And, and I'm not trying to avoid the negative stuff, but I, I try to highlight the positive stuff. You know, and if I'd rather highlight the prospect that's doing well than maybe talk about Forrest Whitlow's having a, a, a terrible season because of injuries and, and, you know, he's just not pitching well. I'd rather highlight the guy like Christian Javier who can, came out of nowhere and is dominating the minors versus a guy who's just struggling, if that makes sense. I mean, I think this is what makes it like so enjoyable for me. Like talking about what we talked about just a second ago with the this mob mentality and people just going for clicks. When you highlight the positive, you don't necessarily have to press on the negative. You know, you can just highlight the positive things. 
there may not be some things that they're good at. You you point them out, but in a very tactful way where it's not like it brings a different sort of light to reading it, and it's really enjoyable. So like, and man, you were like so thorough. I've asked you so many questions. Just we didn't talk for everybody here. I the show prep was basically like, what do you not want to talk about? Okay, let's rock and roll. And then like. I'm asking questions off the top of my head. I don't have anything written down. And you're just bang, 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 firing. Like you've got all the details. I can tell why you've like gotten to where you are in this reporting thing because not only the passion comes through, but you sound like a guy who should be reporting on them, like like audio-wise, and then you know your stuff, man. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, if I, I guess if I could leave you with one other thing, you know, I still think uh, Breaking Bad is the best TV show of all time. <laughs> Again, I'll say that we're going to have to dis- agree to disagree, and then I'm right that The Wire yeah. is the best. We'll see. I'll, yeah, and I, and I, I'll go down fighting with that one. <laughs> oh, this is awesome, man. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, dude. I really, really, really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast and thank you, Jimmy, for being on. That was a blast. I'll go ahead and throw out the plugs again since I forgot to ask you as the host on the show. It's astrosfuture.com, astrosfuture on Twitter and on Facebook. Go follow him, like his pages, keep track of anything and all baseball and Astros. That, till the next time, see ya.